0: I want to invite you to go ahead and open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. And if you're joining us for the first time today, our church is currently studying our way through the gospel of Mark. And we started a, a series, a three, uh, three-week series called Growing Forward in Discipleship that has us focused on the mission of making disciples. When we began this series, we talked about the doxological purpose of our lives or the God-glorifying purpose, for those that aren't familiar with that term. We affirm that if there's one thing that the Lord Jesus Christ continues to teach us on our journey through Mark is his priority to preach the gospel and to make disciples. He he was a man on a mission to to make disciples and to make disciple-makers. And the primary group that he invested in was of course, the 12 apostles. These men are a reflection of a, a deeply personal and purposed labor of love as he prepared them to lay a foundation for the church, and their foundation provides a platform for us to learn from, and a mission that started with the Lord, then continued with the apostles and the future establishment of the church. And now believers today are continuing the same mission. It is the mission that God has ordained specifically for the church, and that is to glorify Him and to make disciples. Why am I here? Why are you here? What is the overarching driving purpose of your life? The answer to that question, it's, it's a compound answer, but it's a singular answer. It is to glorify God and make disciples. That's it. And, and I share this, church, and I mentioned it before earlier in the series, but it, it bears repeating because there are so many things that, that, that creep into the picture, aren't there, that can obscure what our focus needs to be on. And then if your entire worldview, biblical worldview, could be reduced to one principle, you'll be served very well. And it is this, make disciples. Glorify God, make disciples. And so it's fitting, it's appropriate for us at the beginning of such a service and such an exhortation to ask the question, how well am I making disciples? I thought about that question, even from from my own heart, my my own perspective. And I don't think that I'm a very good disciple maker yet. And and I want to draw attention to the the three-letter word at the end that I used, yet. Yet. I want to be. I want to be. I think that I understand the big picture of discipleship. I think I understand what a disciple is as a a follower and a learner and that the goal to be a disciple maker is to become a leader and a teacher. I get the big picture, but as it relates and translates into my life, I believe that there's a lot of room to grow. And perhaps I'm not alone. There's someone here today like me. You're hoping to make progress in becoming a more effective disciple-maker. Well, as you can see, to progress in evangelism and discipleship is a ministry pillar of our church. And so you're in good company because nobody here is claiming expertise in discipleship that I'm aware of. We're all works in progress, and thus we're looking to Christ to see what principles we can glean from the master disciple-maker. So far in this series from Mark chapter 6, we've covered a large number of verses that are all sandwiched together. And it began with the sending of the apostles on the mission in verses 7 through 13. And then we looked at the foreshadowed fate of John, or, or excuse me, of Jesus and the Apostles through the life of John the Baptist in the middle in verses 14 through 29 before returning the attention to the apostles today in verses 30. Through 32. And all this we said is Mark's record of Jesus growing the apostles forward in discipleship so that they would have a realistic view of making disciples. Their sending mission in verses 7 through 13 challenged them to uh, challenge them to recognize the fact that Jesus was training them and preparing them for this mission, for this very purpose. And then the fate of John the Baptist in verses 14 through 29, which we had a chance to study last Sunday, provided a sobering picture of the foreshadowed fate of Christ and the apostles. And it featured the high cost of following Christ, which could entail giving your life, giving your very life, if the Lord wills. Our final passage today comes in verses 30 through 32 when the apostles are going to give their report and see that ministering in the Lord's power with his instruction and discipleship is very effective. And Mark is helping us see how this is all tied together as the Lord is growing them forward in discipleship, as he's growing us forward in discipleship. Let's read our passage together. And to provide a context of the mission, we're going to start reading in verses 7-7. And I'll go to verse 13, and then we'll jump down to verse 30, okay? And I'll guide you along the way. Starting in chapter 6, verse 7, it says this, And he summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And he instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey except a mere staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belt, but to wear sandals And he added, do not put on two tunics. And he said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. Any place that does not receive you or listen to you, as you go out from there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet for a testimony against them. They went out and preached that men should repent. And they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. Now jump down to verse 30 with me. The apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. And they went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. It's worth noting from the start that verses 30 through 32, depending on your English translation in your Bible, might be located in, in, in a different place. If you have a New American Standard or a King James Version, for example, these verses are are set away by themselves. They're, they're featured by themselves. But if you have another trusted translation like the ESV or or one of the many others, Revised Standard Version, it will have these blended in with uh, the, the, the remaining verses through verse 44. The reality is this. When we're preaching expositionally, either way, we're going to cover that ground, right, as we go through the Bible verse by verse. But I believe that as it relates to the sandwich that Mark has and the purpose that these are worthy Of their own sermon. And the title of our message that's in your bulletin is Fulfilled in Your Mission. And the driving purpose in our study today will help us to see two things as we continue to grow forward in discipleship. Our passage provides two final takeaways from the Apostles' sending mission so that you are fulfilled when completing yours. And the first takeaway is grounded in verse 30. Mission progress will grow you in your discipleship relationships. And it will do this in two ways. First, and most importantly, with Christ. And secondly, with others. Look again at verse 30. It says, the apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. Were the apostles motivated by Christ? Were the apostles dependent upon him for guidance? Were the apostles accountable to the Lord Jesus Christ for the mission? They were. And this even takes us back to the first message of the series that focused on verse uh, 7. That had us acknowledge the source of the mission and featured the significance of Christ's role. He is the mission to some degree. If we boil it all down, He is the mission to point people to Him, to trust in Him, to follow Him. The apostles, you and I, and all future disciples glorify Him by leading others to follow Him. And so here we find the apostles. They're gathering with Jesus and reporting to Him. We don't know how long the mission lasted, the, the, the scripture doesn't let us know. But apparently the Lord designated a time and a place for them to gather back so that they could have have a debrief, that they, they, they could they could break this down and see how things went. The context helps us to see that it was a period of days, not hours. We do know that the Lord served as the hub of discipleship for the apostles, helping them grow and ensuring their progress and seeing this is no small matter. As we make disciples, Christ also serves as the hub of discipleship for us. This week as I was studying this passage, it happened that I, simultaneously, I was reading through a, a, a book written by, uh, Leroy Imes, perhaps you've heard of it, The Lost Art of Disciple-Making. And in the book, the author shares a story about a man in the 1930s by the name of Dawson Trotman who actually founded the Navigators Ministry. And he was discipling students and he was helping them, he was trying to help them see their need for Christ to be the hub and the the, the center uh peace of all of life and discipleship and ministry. And in the book it said that Trotman longed to see them progress to maturity, fruitfulness, and deeper faith in Christ. He tried to think of a way to communicate the bedrock essentials of the life that has Christ at the center of all that we are and do. After a number of unsuccessful attempts, the Lord enabled him to design an illustration which communicates the essence of such a life. And I wanted to show you a picture of the discipleship wheel illustration that he, he came up with. What do you notice that is at the center, right? The bullseye, the focus. It's Christ. It's Christ who brings and, and holds all things together. Jesus Christ is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature. And he upholds all things by the power of his word according to Hebrews 1.3. And guess what? All things means all things. And all things includes the discipleship ministry and, and, and how we make disciples. Only when we see the supreme value of who Christ is and all that he wants to accomplish in our lives, will we have a desire to be discipled by him and to make disciples? Listen to me. And don't miss it. Only when we see the supreme value of who Christ is and what he wants to accomplish through our lives. Will we have a desire, a desire, a motive, a purpose, a driving element in our lives to to glorify him and to be discipled by him and to make disciples of others? It is the very reason why he saved and redeemed our lives. The gospel enabled and equipped us with spiritual eyes to begin to see Jesus Christ for who he really is. And from that point forward, from that unveiling of truth, from that point of having the scales removed from your eyes and being able to see Christ with greater clarity, there's a progression that begins to take place. We're able to see him more and more clearly. And as we develop our view, as we look to the word, as our view of him continues to grow, his worthiness will continue to grow and develop. It grows larger and larger. There's a direct correlation to the increased desire within our hearts, right, between our view of Christ. You cannot miss this. You, you cannot miss this, church. There is a direct correlation between our view and the majesty and the glory and the radiance and the beauty and the jaw-dropping captivity of all of that Christ is that, that is going to compel us. He is worthy. He is worthy. And an exalted view of who Jesus Christ is tears down the walls of apathy. It tears down the walls of indifference in our hearts. It tears down the walls of wasted minutes in this life. It tears down the walls of the fear of man because he's so much greater. And it keeps us fixed on that which is most important, which is the mission of glorifying him and making disciples. And that's why the scripture reminds us to keep Christ at the center. Hebrews 12, one and two, let us run with endurance the race set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. As he grows us Forward in discipleship. Just consider for a moment how his discipleship of you and I in the scriptures frames our thinking about these essential elements of discipleship. It's seen right here in Trotman's in illustration. Let's start with the word. How the Lord Jesus Christ was always using the scriptures to Point people to who he was, right? He used the scriptures to point, and all the time that he's doing that, he is discipling you and I to do what? To use the scriptures to point people to who he is. Jesus relied on the word in Matthew 4 to defeat Satan when being tempted. Three times he's tempted, right? He was tempted for 40 days, countless times. But three that are recorded, and every single time he responds with what? The scripture, the word of God. Training us, discipling us to do what when we are, are confronted with a temptation? To do what? To, to go to the word of God. To go to the word of God. I mean, think about all the times that Jesus Christ, in his ministry, says this. And those familiar with reading through the Gospels, that he says, it is written, it is written, it is written. It was the word. He used the word. Now, think about how Jesus disciples you and I to pray, by example. He was always finding a, a quiet, secluded place to go off and pray. And we actually can look back to Mark chapter one and verse 35 where where we've already studied it. it. It says there, in the early morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. And Jesus also prayed with his disciples so that they could see and learn from his example on how to pray. In Luke 9, 28, it says the the exact same thing, except that he took Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. He brought his, he brought the men with him. He showed them what it looked like to pray. Not only does he disciple us with the example of prayer, but he also disciples us with the instruction of prayer. If we go to Matthew chapter 6, in verse 7, okay, he, he gives instruction on how to pray. He says, And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetitions as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. It's not about the quantity of prayers. It's not about how many times you can say something over and over again. It's about the quality of your prayers. It's about the heart being connected to them. So he says, in verse 8, Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then this way. And he goes on to give the disciples prayer, showing them, pray this way. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us what we need. Give us what we need, Father. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Grow us forward. How about witnessing? The same can be said when it comes to, to witnessing as the apostles saw the Lord Jesus Christ and his passion to preach the gospel. Matthew 9.35 says, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom while the apostles were there learning from his example. It doesn't say that they were there in in, in that verse, but in Luke 8, 1, it says the exact same thing, and then it specifically says that the 12 were with him. And then we're seeing in our study of Mark that the Lord Jesus Christ, his faithfulness to preach the gospel, he, he, he proclaimed it, he heralded it, and he made it a priority to witness to the loss. What about fellowship? Jesus also disciples us into a deeper fellowship with Him and with each other. It's actually these are surreal words. Turn with me to John fifteen. You got to see these. Jesus shares in John fifteen and verses eight through eleven. And in the context of the entire chapter, it focuses on relationships, our relationship with Jesus and the Father, then our relationship with fellow disciples, and finally our relationship to the world. I I wish we had time to just, someday we'll preach through this chapter, but for now we're going to start in verse 8, and we're going to read verses 8 through 11 and listen to this because this drives at, at the hub of discipleship. My Father is glorified by this. Oh, church, let's see these words. That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Verse 11 these things I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. This passage strikes at the core of the first point that we're covering. Mission progress will grow you in your relationship, in your discipleship relationship with Christ. And Jesus makes this point clearly in John 15. And not only will it grow you in your relationship, but it's also where true fulfillment is found. Listen to this. The Lord doesn't want us just to fulfill the mission. The Lord wants us to be fulfilled in the mission. That is what he's saying here. And to experience the intimate joy with him that comes with it. This is what happens as he is the hub and the center, as he disciples us we, th- that and, and we make progress in that relationship, it allows us to see this truth. And for this to happen, Jesus must be the hub of the discipleship relationship, not the hub cap. Okay? We're a young church. I didn't even know if this illustration would serve us very well, but there was a time when automobiles, virtually every automobile that was made when it came out of the factory, that it was equipped with hubcaps that covered the, the ugly, unappealing rims of, uh, uh, on a car, right? It wasn't until decades later, until it actually became cool to like show the rims and, and to make them nice and see them. But everything was covered with a hubcap. And hubcaps illustrate a spiritual danger that exists in the church today. Some people can mask or cover up their lives with religious activities. And when it comes to having an authentic relationship or a fellowship with Christ or with other believers, it's a cover, it's a facade, it's not real. And the tragedy and, and and this frightening thing is that they're convinced in their mind that what they're doing is real. But it isn't. It's cosmetic. And sometimes it's self-focused. It's, 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 it's serving self just to, to feel accepted by a Christian community. It's serving self to... To, to pat ourselves on the back for going to church. It's, it, it's, it, it's dangerous, and this is exactly why. Again, 2 Corinthians 13.5 calls believers to examine yourself, test yourself, to make sure that you're in the faith. Because when your faith is real, then your desires and motives will be real when it comes to your pursuit of Christ's discipleship and your discipleship of intimate personal relationships, and investments in the lives of other people. And this was evident in the lives of the apostles. And they grew in their relationships with other people. Look at the end of verse 30. It says, they reported to Jesus all that they had done and taught. Who did they do things to? Who did they teach? It was other people. As they made disciples. The Lord Jesus Christ was growing them forward as disciple makers. And this is the transition of progress in their growth. There was a time where they were just merely followers and learners. For a number of of months, actually for a couple years, they were followers and learners. And the Lord Jesus Christ was growing them forward so that they could become effective spiritual leaders and teachers. And how did they lead? Like Jesus. By example. As they fulfilled the ministry, they traveled to see others. They sacrificed time away from their friends and families to invest in the lives of others. They healed and performed miracles and did all the same things that Jesus taught and prescribed them to do. What did they teach? They preached the gospel. They preached the gospel of the kingdom and for people to repent of their unbelief. And this points us backward again to the first message as we look at God. You'll recall in verses 12 and 13, that allowed us to look at God's what? Method. God's message and God's authentic, uh, authentication for those that were here for that message. And we learn that when the apostles acknowledged the source of the mission and when they trusted in God's provisions for the mission, that this is what allowed them to proceed in confidence with the mission. Isn't it great when you can move forward in confidence when you do something? Right? I want you to think about something in your life that you have you have done or that you believe that you can do with confidence. What is it that brought you to that place? What what is it? Oh, I think it's a combination of things if we think it about experience. Might relate to some giftedness or some an empowering ability that you've been given, right? When you are driven by the motive of why you are doing something, that is another thing that adds to the confidence. And this is so true when making disciples. When you acknowledge the source, when you trust in God's provision for the mission, how can we not move forward in confidence? And I want to share something that really blessed me this week as I was just reflecting on discipleship in our church. I want to look back here at the the discipleship wheel illustration. Thank you, Paul, for freezing it up there. I see it frozen right there. Not going to go anywhere on us. But as I was looking at this, you know what it made me think about? It made me think about the care group ministry in our church. It made me think about the acronym TAP that that we've, we've talked about. And some of you are here for the first time today, so that's not going to sound very familiar. But those in our church family will have heard it before, and I just featured it at the end of Equipping Hour uh, last last Sunday. And those words, uh, the, the T-A-P-P, that acronym, stands for the, the following words. The T stands for transparency. And what do we say that is used, the, the primary resource Uh, The primary source of transparency is in our life as believers. It's the Word. It's the Word of God as we read it, as we study it, as we meditate on it, as we apply it to our lives. Just listen to Psalm 19 and the principles of application when we use God's Word as a mirror. I still have here... This mirror down on the bottom that I used in the illustration helps you to see who you are, right? Helps you to see what does it help us to see. Listen to these verses. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple, quit me of hidden faults also keep back your servant from presumptuous sins let them not rule over me then i will be blameless and i will be acquitted of great transgression let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight o lord my rock and my redeemer amen amen and and the and the word is what does it just just It restores the soul. It makes us wise. It keeps us from making foolish decisions. It enlightens the eyes. It rejoices the heart. It serves as a warning. It keeps us from being presumptuous about our sin. All of these things, all of these benefits. And currently we're going through the book of Romans. In our care groups. And I've been so encouraged by the study guide questions. Thankful for Huey and for Sam as they collaborate and compile the list of questions that help um, probe our hearts a little bit, help us to, to dig deeper and to reflect in the mirror of God's Word. Well, the second A and the, the acronym TAP is the word accountability. And we come together for fellowship and care group. And we want to weave greater accountability into the fabric of our lives. And we do this by confessing our sins to the Lord and to each other in our discipleship groups. And the verses that we need to take note of here are 1 John 1.9 and James 5.16 that that feature this for us. And I've mentioned these verses as before. They're a confession bridge that we should cross regularly as we look at these verses. 1 John 1.9. James 5.16, and that is what allows us to move to the spirit of Romans 8.1 and function in the spirit of of Romans 8.1, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It is what allows us to move forward in accountability as it relates to Ephesians 5.21 and the spirit-filled life that we're subject to one another in the fear of Christ. The first P in the word TAP stands for prayer. So notice the progression. We started with the Word and we're just going counterclockwise. Then we're going to the fellowship and the accountability that we have in Christ. And then now we're, we've come to prayer. And it's amazing just how accountability and, and confession leads us to pray. And in fact, prayer is even included with uh, James 5.16. And our study of God's Word should also Uh, open up avenues for us to to pray and to praise God. Help us to see additional ways that we can be praying for each other as we literally share our lives together. Well, the last P stands for progress. And this is directly connected to to the ministry pillar of our church, to progress in evangelism and discipleship. Do you want to be the most effective witness that you can be for the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you? Not only do you want to share the gospel, but when Christ is our discipler and he's the center of our lives, we're growing forward in his word, we're growing forward in prayer, we're growing forward in fellowship. And this is what allows us to have a witnessing impact, right? It is. And so I just thought that it was, it was just, it, it encouraged me. Here's why. Because there's a man who, uh, who lived a hundred years ago, by the name of Dawson Trotman, who was seeking the Lord and he was asking, what are the essential elements of discipleship? And as he looked at the life of Christ, as he looked at the interaction with Him making disciples, and this is what he came up with. And then there's a man 40 years later who's writing a book, The Art of Disciple Making. Right? A well-known classic book on Christian discipleship. And what is he focused on? These essential elements that flow out of a of Christ as the hub of a discipleship relationship, right? And then all this 40 years later is connected to the discipleship ministry of the church. Why am I sharing this? Because I, I, my heart was encouraged. Listen, we are on the right track as a church. We are on the right track. Some, sometimes in your thinking, maybe as it relates to making disciples, you thought, well gosh, I don't, I don't I'm, I'm clueless. No, you're not. Let me tell you, you are not. You have, and the Lord has provided so much as a foundation. And what do we need to do? We we, we need to continue to allow our view of who Christ is to continue to grow. And out of that, right, out of that enablement, because we've been saved, because we've been redeemed, because our hearts have have been changed to to do these things, these, these essential elements of discipleship will take place. We just need to keep growing forward in our discipleship relationship with christ and the essential elements of discipleship will be grown and cultivated in our walks with him and with others and not only will you fulfill your mission but you will be fulfilled in your mission well there's a final takeaway that we cannot miss and it's point number two of the message and don't worry it's not going to be anywhere near as long but we can't miss it. And it's this. Mission fatigue will remind you of his faithfulness to give rest. Look at verses 31 and 32. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. And they went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. Isn't this such a tender And sweet expression of the Lord. He understood. The Lord's been been doing what he just sent them out to do now for for a couple years. And this phrase could actually literally be translated, come away with me by yourselves and get some rest. J.C. Ryle had this to say about this verse. These words are full of deep wisdom. Our Lord knows that his servants must attend to their own souls as well as the souls of others. He knows that a constant attention to public work is apt to make us forget our own private soul business and that while we are keeping the vineyards of others, we are in danger of neglecting our own. End quote. Nobody knew the challenges that the Apostles were up against better than Jesus Christ. He knew the fatigue that the apostles had to endure for the sake of the mission. Walking long distances, enduring the the scorching sun and the the elements of of the weather, right? We've already seen indications of the winds and the storms and everything that were, were in that region, right? Those are just some of the physical factors, but the greater fatigue factor would be the emotional and spiritual challenges that came. The the unbelief that they were going to have to uh, endure. The the resistance of those in the world. The hard-heartedness. The religious self-righteousness. The I don't want to hear you. As you share with passion. As you share with genuine concern for someone's soul. And those who have been faithful to the call of evangelism have experienced this. You can tell, right? Somebody's put up that wall. I'm not going to let you in. I don't care what you say. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. The Lord endured that. The Lord continued, right? He, he If I had a chisel, I mean, it seems impossible you know, to, to, to get through this wall with a hammer and a little chisel. What'd he do? Just kept chipping away. Just kept chipping away as the truth of the gospel shared And What does that do? It penetrates. It keeps penetrating. And according to God's will and according to his plan, sometimes, guess what it does? It strikes through at the very core of that lost family member who was so resistant, who was giving the Heisman, right, every time you tried to bring up Christ. And all of a sudden there's a breakthrough. Our hearts can rejoice and be encouraged. The Lord knew this. He knew this. There were physical obstacles, but the spiritual opposition would take even a greater whole so how would the apostles get recharged when their spiritual battery ran low again this takes us right back to christ as the hub of discipleship who said come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest we find encouragement in his words we find encouragement in his person the Lord graciously helped the apostles and all future disciples understand that fulfilling the mission should never come at the expense of spiritual or physical neglect of our own person and our own soul. The apostles were men who were deeply committed and highly invested. And you know what? Their exertion was understood by the Lord. He understands. He, he knows what it takes, and he's never asking you to do more than what he's willing to provide. Does that make sense? Right. That's why First Peter four eleven says that whoever serves is to serve in the strength that he supplies. And let me just tell you, if your energy has been depleted, he's not asking you to do anything more that day. Rest, rest, find rest. Recover, you know. I think about it just even from a physical standpoint. You know, right? Going going to the gym to exercise. No, you're not made to exercise 24 hours out of the day. You know, there's it's it's it can take a toll. Rest is an essential element. The apostles were men who were deeply committed and highly invested, and their exertion was understood and cared for by Jesus. Yet, J.C. Ryle offers some sobering counsel for those on the other end of the spectrum, and we need to hear this. He writes, There are but few in danger of overworking themselves and injuring their own bodies and souls by excessive attention to others. The vast majority of professing Christians... Are indolent and slothful and do nothing for the world around them. There are few, comparatively, who need the bridle nearly so much as the spur. Yet these few ought to lay to the heart the lessons of this passage. I think Ryle needs to tell us how he really feels. Um it, it, it's direct, it's it's confrontive what he's saying. Many believers today, listen, many believers today don't need to be taking rest from making disciples. That's his point that he's driving home, right? They need to take a rest from the world and being so entangled and engrappled and ensnared in the things of this world that they need to get away from it because that's what's got a grap on their life. And, and we're living in a time, right, of materialism and wealth, and creature comforts that if you're not careful, those of you who are, are in the professional working class, if you are not careful, it will suck you in and will not let go. Do we get that? It will grab a hold of you and not let go. And pretty soon, you know what will be left? There will be nothing left for ministry. There will be no time left for making disciples. There will be no time left for spiritual things. Work, work, work. And that's the betrayal of our age. That's the betrayal of the time that we live in. I want to help you with this because you have to see it. And and, and if you're committed to that, guess what? It will be the toil of man and your life will be hard. But this is how you fight back. I'm telling you, everything that we're hearing in this message today, it will equip you to fight back. If Christ is the hub of your life, if he is the center of your life, and your goal is to glorify him and make disciples, you will find ways to make spiritual progress in, even within your profession. To, to meet with that coworker to talk about Christ. To be praying that God is opening up opportunities for you to share the gospel with those in the cubicle next to you. To have the opportunity in oh, our country. Oh, here it is. Our, our business has a really, st- you ready for this one? Our business has a really strict work policy. And um, you can't bring up religious things, okay? Just, you, you got to leave it out of the workplace. You can honor that. You can, you can still be praying. You, can, you still have the, the, the right to open up and read your scriptures. Um, and, and in his book, uh, uh, Leroy Imes talks about this man who uh, just came to faith in Christ. And he was in the military. And the guy who led him to the Lord, he said, used to show up for his shift at work 30 minutes early. And he would read his, his Bible for 30 minutes. And so you, the guy who was just new in, in Christ, you know what he started to do? He started to show up 30 minutes early and he read. And then he noticed the guy, after work, he would go out to a hill when weather permitted and he would lay down and he would pray. He would be out there praying. So the guy, you know what he started to do? He went to the other side of the hill and he started to pray. And you know what he said is the reason why he did those things he thought it was what Christians were supposed to do, right? He thought, he learned from, 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 from the example, right, of a man who, who was being faithful. And I'm telling you, you can do this in, in your workplace. And yeah, you may, not, you may be limited. I'm not dumbing down the, the, the reality that there are some who would, you might really be in trouble with HR if you started sharing the gospel in, in a work meeting or on the clock. But there's time off the clock, right? There's time right after work. Hey, can we meet up? How are you doing in your marriage? How are things going? Can we connect? They're there. They're there. The opportunities are there. And just going back to it, if if, if we're not careful, the the, the, the world, right? And that's why we need to get away from the world, away from from the things that will go against the opportunity for us to fulfill the mission. It's common. Work, career, education, climbing the corporate ladder. All those are things that, that, that the, the mission can be compromised of making disciples if we allow those things To consume us and to get in the way. Well, the encouragement that we can take away from this series is this. Our Lord continues to grow us forward in discipleship. Helping you and I to see not only that he's going to grow us in our relationship with him. If we stay centered and fixed on him, he's going to continue to cultivate that as we fulfill the mission. Not only is he going to grow us in our relationship with others, but you want to know what? Times for us to rest along the way. Does he not? He provides times for us to to take a deep breath, to, to recalibrate. My time is up. It goes so quickly. But just one final exhortation. Signing my notes and just shooting from the hip here. Sometimes we. C- we can tend to allow the, the mindset of this world to, to creep in and even impact the way that we rest. Did you know that? Matt Chandler was talking about when he went on a vacation and he, he, he went away for a week and he did nothing. You know what he said? He said he came back exhausted. And he went on to just exhort Men in the ministry. why? Because b- because w- w- even we, we, we rest in the ministry. We don't rest away from the ministry. And so even during our time of, of rest that we, Christ is still at the center of our rest. He is still he is still there. Our fellowship is still with him. And so just a, 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 a word of caution that sometimes you know breaks are good and vacations are good. But the world will go away to do nothing, only to come back completely exhausted. And when we take our rest, we continue to uh, rest in the mission and rest in the ministry, right? Rest with Christ. And that is what's going to recharge us and compel us to move forward. I hope your hearts have been encouraged by this series. Pardon me, pardon me is a little sad to close it. But we've reached the end. We've reached the end, and we'll move on to the next section as Jesus feeds the 5,000 next Sunday. Please pray with me.